This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's time for another film study. And Ken, I'm excited because this is an offense that's going to be fun to talk about today. How's it going? Life's good, Josh. How about you? It's going well. Um, this is a game. We're going to get into this game. We've got a great guest today, Jim Zipcode. How you doing? Great, thanks. Good to be All here. Right. All right, glad you're back. You've done some shorts with Ken. Uh, now we get to get you in long form to kind of look at this game. And guys, this game... I don't know how you want to start there. It's big offensive movements, big defensive movements, a big turning point kind of for the season almost that we finally saw the Lamar Jackson Ravens come back in a game. Yeah, I mean, just to set it up, the Ravens had a number of undercurrents in this game that were, you know, certainly might have towed them under. Uh, They have the COVID scare during the week. They had people missing practice. They lost Campbell very early on. They're just coming off a loss of Stanley. They don't know how the offensive line is going to work. In fact, they're out without a total of four pro bowlers by the game's end, uh, including Ingram, Campbell, Stanley, and who am I forgetting? Humphrey. Uh, 
so it's a game they certainly could have lost and uh, you know could have fallen victim to that, but they they turned it around the second half for the first time in the Jackson era. Uh, they came back from halftime. There have only been seven games, by the way, Jim, that they've trailed entering the second half. Right. That's the story, right? Like they can't win uh, <laughs> trailing in the second half, but fortunately they never trail in the second half, so it doesn't come up. They're good enough that the situation doesn't usually arise. All right. Let's well, talking about per- turning points in this game. Let's get to this first of all, because the interception was clearly a huge turning point in the game right after the fumble, which was the only way the Ravens were stopped at any point. We'll talk about that a little later in the first three drives of the second half. Immediately responded with the interception by Peters. Has there ever been a more identifiable pivotal moment than that challenge that uh, that Harbs threw in that in the third quarter there? Yeah, as, as challenges go, I think it's I think it's one of the great challenges of the Harbaugh era. And I, I put this in the article, so I'm not going to go through the entire thing real quickly. But I think there's four standards you have to meet to have a really a really great challenge. And the first is you have to win it. And there, yeah. there, there have been 48 of those. The second is it has to be pivotal in the game. No doubt about that in this case. The third one, if you can get it, and you, this, this doesn't apply to every game, is that it has to have playoff implications. This game did. And the fourth is, and this is a special case in this case, is I think it took a, a, a special understanding of the rules by Harbs and the Ravens staff that made it be a challenge that he might have made where a lot of other coaches wouldn't have. I think that's exactly right. And, and I think like a lot of fans, I saw us go to commercial with that challenge and I thought there's no way, probably the only reason he threw that flag was because Wink Martindale wanted a timeout for the defense, and they were like, what the heck, let's throw a flag. Maybe something will come of it, but regardless, we'll get the timeout. But Harbs, I I didn't realize this, but if you go back to 2018, Harbs and the Ravens kind of submitted a new catch standard to the competition committee regarding like a third step and making a football move as an attempt to kind of go away from the previous, you know, sort of nonsense, the Des Bryant nonsense that we had around the old catch rule. And so Harbs and the Ravens really had kind of a deeper understanding of the mechanism of this rule than maybe most coaching staffs would have. Yes, I, I, that that's, makes perfect sense. I didn't, hadn't heard it before. We talked about this in the production meeting just briefly, but it makes complete sense that that would have been an extra advantage towards this uh, particular play did look to me like there were four, uh, you know, back and forth, uh, left, right, left, right, that right. Peters used. And I, I don't know about you, but I kind of think of that as being three steps. Some might only say that's two, but that it's kind of like you step one foot, then the other foot, then the other foot, but you have to have your first foot on the ground before you can make the first step. Right. And so what they said when they submitted this a couple of years ago, and so I'm reading an article on ravens.com and they're talking about uh, how matt weiss kind of reviewed a bunch of catches and and they came up with a standard which was like number one control the football number two two feet or a body part in bounds and then number three a football move like a third step or extending the football to get to the goal line or tucking the football just any kind of move and and you did see you know uh, you know peters took a, a third step, even a fourth step while, while shoving against that receiver. And I think, you know, I, I'm still struggling with this. Like, it's not that I necessarily think he caught it, but I think that Harbs articulated the challenge in a framework that the refs, that was the rule book, you know, that, that it is what the refs would respond to. Well, it's good that Harbs's contribution uh, to this 
the competition committee or whatever, however they made this contribution, was done in a manner to clarify additional components of the additional football move. Because that's where it's always yeah. lost on me is what the hell does an additional football move mean? You right. got to be much more clear. I, I know what a step is, and I think yeah. I can I, I can define that. But anyway, great. That was a great play for the defense. Let's get back to the offense. You good to were go you on worried? A, I just yeah. wanted to ask you, were you – so Gus fumbled right on the goal line after just a tremendous drive down uh-huh. there. And even though he fumbled, as a fan, I remember thinking, all right, that's bad, but the Ravens' offense is back. We've proven we can move. We can still win this game. So kind of even before the interception, I was a little, I want to put interception in scare quotes, right? But even before that, I was a little more relaxed than I had been after the end of the first half. It was a fantastic drive that they had to get down to the three-yard line uh, to start that third quarter. And and it uh, they never got to third down on that drive. Yeah. They were all first and seconds. They had five first downs on the drive. So it was a very dominant movement forward, and, and it looked like a different offense at that point. I'm still always concerned when there's a when there's a turnover and you're sure. down. Sure. Uh, so I, I didn't like that. But, you know, starting from the field position they were in, you know, they can recover from it. But I, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried about it. Yeah, but I was less worried, I guess, is what I want to say. I was less worried after that uh, handing of the possession to the opponent than I was going into the quarter, if that makes any sense. All right. All right. How about we talk some offensive line here? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So the Ravens had – I always like to bring in the aggregate scoring of the line. Just reach over and grab my materials here because – all right, well, while, Ken, while you grab those materials, okay. let me jump in with my bookie because they're back uh, at Film Study. We had a great run with them the past couple weeks. They're back for the rest of the football season, so it's time for you to get on board and use that code RAVENS. You heard me talk about it all last week and the week before. If you jumped on with the Joe Flacco uh, number of yards passed yes, last night, you would have made a bunch of money. Because it was great odds, but I did not jump on that because who knew Joe Flacco was going to look like the old Joe Flacco. So don't forget that you can bet on the underdogs like that. They've got a ton of values. And the thing about the NFL is that the underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday because every team has a chance to win. And you do too. And you can make your money move even further with those underdogs. So sign on up at mybookie.ag. And when you do, use the promo code RAVENS to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. If you put in two hundred bucks, they'll give you two hundred bucks free to gamble with. So go on over to my bookie, use the code Ravens to help out film study and make yourself some money. Yeah, that's a that's a marvelous kind of a match bet. You know, we used to go play a lot of blackjack in the old days uh, in, in Las Vegas and other places in the world, but in Las Vegas in particular, they compete for your business with a lot of these coupons. Never seen anything as ju- juicy as a thousand dollar match play uh, deal, which effectively they're giving. So it's a, it's a nice uh, opportunity for people. If you bet a little bit of money or if you bet a lot of money to, uh, uh, to get some free money out of the deal. All right, let's move on. Offensive line scoring. Uh, let's talk about the overall first. There were 63 scored snaps in the game. Two of them were spikes, so those don't get counted. Uh, the Ravens did have two penalties in the game. They had an offensive hold. They had another illegal formation penalty. The good news, they both came on the same play. So it really, you know, only one of them was going to be accepted. Both of them are charged in terms of the, the charge to the individual linemen. We'll get to that in a moment. They had only one-third of the two total sacks were charged to the offensive line. So that was good. 
There were no other QHs in the game, no other quarterback hits, so two, two from the sacks only. And there were two pressures allowed only for the entire game by the offensive line. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't, Jackson didn't have some pressure or didn't deliver the ball quickly on occasion, but there were only two pressures the whole game by the offensive line allowed. That's interesting because watching it, I thought Lamar was under a little bit more duress than that. Yeah, he, I think I think that's accurate, but he was also f- releasing the ball quickly. So he had ample time and space, which means a three-second pocket, which is it's ample. It's more than you can expect now on half of the plays. There was a time when it was almost half, but eight out of twenty-five times he had ample time and space. That's okay for today for today's uh, game, thirty-two percent. But uh, it's it's not unusually high. Let's put it that way. It was aided by the fact that the Colts rushed four on 18 of the passes and only rushed five on seven. And they never rushed more than that. So they, they played a very limited scheme, much in fact, like the Ravens did on the other side. In fact, the Ravens frankly ran a lot more scheme than the, than the uh, uh, Colts did, even though they ran a little bit less in terms of numbers in this game. Did you record them for any uh, deceptive pressures? I thought I saw a couple places where one guy dropped out and, uh, and somebody on the other side rushed. Okay, so they didn't have anything but a one-man zone blitz in this game. So all they had uh, were these four ones occasionally and a five one here and there. So when they had a five one, they probably blitzed two and dropped one, and those would have been the deceptives. Mm-hmm. So I, I see one, two, just two of those. So, so it definitely not a lot of deception. Um, they did some stunting and twisting on the line. Uh, I wouldn't say they really did a lot of that either. I mean, all teams are kind of cognizant of having controlled rush lanes still against Lamar. So that's part of what they really need to do. And it takes away a lot of the scheme elements, the pass rush, other than blitzing itself. And there just there wasn't that much blitzing. Okay, run blocking. A little bit less effective in this game than the pass blocking. In fact, a lot less effective. But the run blocking uh, gave up four total penetrations by the offensive line, which is a hell of a lot for one game. In fact, I think the Colts had seven tackles for losses in the game, but most of those, five of them, I believe, were on run plays. And uh, and it, those were some of the really bad plays, including the, the forced fumble on Edwards, uh, which was uh, given up by McCary, uh, getting beaten inside by DeForest Buckner. All right, we'll talk about some individual players. Brown. He's a great story since he's moved over there. He's now played 121 snaps that I've scored. So he had 58 in the last game, 63 in this game. And he has not allowed a negative pass rush event yet, with the exception of the holding call in this game. That's astonishing. But it is astonishing. It's absolutely remarkable. I was a little terrified. I thought that he might be too slow-footed to play on that side. But he uses his size and his reach just really intelligently. Yeah, very, he's very good at that. And, uh, you know, there's even a play that I really noticed when I, not on the broadcast angle, but when I looked at the All-22, where he's lined up in a very wide stance from the other lineman. So he's, he's dispro- out of line, but he's clearly having to position himself way over to cover a guy who's in an extreme wide nine stance. I don't even know who the pass rusher is on that on that play. But, Jim, if you looked at the All-22, you could probably pick the play out. Anyway, that, that, that specific... So- I Go think ahead. I know what you, so a lot of linemen try to get an advantage going backward faster or setting up kind of with an exaggerated like back leg and he's stealing that distance in this play you're talking about he's stealing that horizontally yes, rather exactly. than vertically. 
Yeah. So they, they either there's two ways that, that linemen cheat. One is they get vertical and they often get they sometimes get an illegal formation call because they're upright and their head doesn't you know mm. break break the waist of the center. And the other way they do it is they line up too far back and especially with one foot back and the other forward and then they they also don't make it to the to right. the. Uh, to the center but anyway in this case it, it's you're exactly right it's a horizontal instead of a vertical cheating that he's doing and and uh, you know it could have backfired on him because if the sure. guy all of a sudden moves in tight he can't move and and it could uh could allow that gap to be exposed but, or you know a stunter could come in inside of him or something like that like it could go wrong yeah yeah very very there were options certainly where that could have happened but he did a very good job in terms of pushing his guy south of the pocket and using his length well like i call it um, at tackle, as opposed to being able to get in front of the guy, Stanley is extremely efficient because he's got those great feet to stay between himself and Lamar, which creates a lot of lesser pressures. Like he doesn't give up a lot of quarterback hits and sacks because he he backs into the quarterback. He gives ground to maintain his position relative to that pass rusher. Brown, he's much more of a I got to use my length to push a guy south of the pocket. Right. Right. right, so there's chances, I guess, for the guy to come back, right, to rebound off of that, but that's going to take a second, and, and that's what we're looking for is time. Yeah, there you go. Uh, B for Brown, in terms of the grading on this game, uh, I, I've just been – I could not be more thrilled at how he's played through two games here, and uh, we'll see if he can keep it up against some of these other teams, uh, Pittsburgh in particular, when they, uh, when they get another chance at them. All right, Bozeman. A fairly solid game as I scored it. I thought of the run blockers, he probably looked the best. Uh, seven missed blocks in the game. He made nine of 11 pulls. He did allow a penetration. That wasn't good. He definitely had problems with Forrest Buckner, and he looked awkward versus him uh, on multiple plays. But a lot of the problems were honestly, in terms of the pulls getting blown up, were Skura and McCary. McCary. Um, getting backed up into the backfield, which actually I think blew up. It might have been both of his pulls, but it was, certainly was at least one. Yeah, and, and in the passing game, I saw also Skura got kind of blown up and, and flushed Lamar to the right on at least one play. One play. Yeah, definitely. We're not we're not seeing that anchor. B for Bozeman. Let's go to Skura. He's just okay in this game. He didn't have a spectacular game. One penetration, a team high, nine missed blocks. Yeah. Had a lot of problems with both Buckner and Grover Stewart, who's a, a excellent interior defensive tackle for the for the Colts. Um, he had a lot of issues, obviously, with shotgun snaps in this game, and they spent a lot of time on that on the broadcast and showing his finger. If the Ravens are going to keep Skura at center for the next game, they need to find a device to go with that, a crutch or whatever, except for his hand, <laughs> that will allow him to make an accurate shotgun snap. It's a funny thing. Two years ago in camp, before the 2019 season, McCary got a – disproportionate number of the shotgun snaps in seven-on-seven drills. And the idea was they were going to groom him to be the backup center, and they thought Skura is in a good place. But I think if I had to guess right now, I think McCary is probably in a better place watching the end of last season in terms of accurate shotgun snaps than Skura is right now. And it wouldn't be even out of the question that you might have those two either switch positions or just sit sit Skura or McCary. Did you – has has Skura had problems with accurate snapping in the past? Yes, he's he's had some even when he wasn't hurt. And and it, it, one of the way I find out about it is not always from watching it in game. This game it was real obvious in terms yeah. of the balls dribbling on the ground, being way low, high and outside. You know, it's 
it's like uh, the wild thing is in there. Right? <laughs> but but uh, w- what really has shown up in the past is PFF will often have a big difference in Skura's scoring from me. Mm. And then I asked them about it and they said, well, did you get them for these bad shotgun snaps? And I didn't, I, I don't generally score that. Um, in this game, I took away his subjective adjustment for, for doing it and still left him with a C in terms of the grade. Because I thought that the hand was sort of a one-time thing. You know, if he's smearing the ball with blood every time he grabs it, that's not something that happens every game. So I didn't realize that he was kind of a problem, uh, a, a chronic problem. Yeah, I think the injury is the first time. It's it, The first time it's been uh, ascribed to an injury is this time. But mm. I think other times he's had problems with the shotgun snap. But anyway, if you think about how it happens sometimes to pitchers when they split a fingernail on their pitching yeah. hand or get a cut on their head, it could take a long time for that stuff to heal. Yeah. I still can remember Greg Olson always constantly wiping off and having a lot of blood on his uniform at the end of some of his games in the early in the late 80s early 90s otter people don't have otter enough on uh, football podcasts not enough not enough all right let's move forward here mccary uh he had some problems with, with both with grover stewart and with buckner uh he allowed that big penetration for the forced fumble on edwards he allowed a pressure a third of a sack so he had a couple pass blocking errors uh, he did make four to five pulls and it's nice to see that they can make pulls in both directions. It's uh, it's always nice to have a ambidextrous running running game, as I would as I would call it. C minus for him for the game. He was probably the weakest of. The, he's definitely the weakest grade of the Ravens lineman. I think subjectively, just looking at his game, he probably was the worst of the Ravens lineman as I saw it. So these grades for Skura and Makari, you know, they're C's and C minuses. If you had told me going into this weekend that those guys would get C's against DeForest Buckner, I would have applauded because I thought Buckner was going to just wreck this line. And and he kind of did, but they both also get a subjective adjustment that's pretty large for facing Buckner on a fair number of snaps. So they both have benefited from that in the in the scoring I gave him. Yeah. Uh, so Skura, in fact, did not. Skura got a C without it because he lost his for the, the inaccurate shotgun snaps. Yeah. But anyway... I, I agree with you. And, you know, if I had a young lineman, if I had a rookie lineman who's consistently getting a C minus, but otherwise shows flashes of improvement, I think that's a good thing. That's where Skura was as a rookie. Yeah. And, and, and he's turned out to be a pretty good player. And it's where Bozeman really was for the early part of last year. And he's turned into a much better lineman. So I think, I think you, know, you, you got to be reasonable in terms of your expectations of a rookie lineman. And the Ravens are working like hell right now to try and get that right guard position given to a younger player. Why isn't Powers getting an opportunity there? You know, I don't have the answer to that, but I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, Josh. I'm not sure what the reason is. But anyway, I, I, I'm not sure of the reason, but I think that that uh, that, that opportunity may yet come. Uh, McCary just, I don't think, played himself out of the role in this particular game with this with how he played. So the, uh, the the thing that bugs me about Makari, like I think that he's a smart player and he makes the right reads and he knows where he's supposed to go. And certainly he pulls well, he's nice and mobile, but he cannot anchor and we play big, active defensive lines. Right. I, I, I like his physicality. I think part of the issue with his anchoring is not necessarily the anchor itself. It's the arm length. It's, oh. the, it's, it's the problem that he's gets shed by these longer arm guys much more easily. And a, a player like Buckner made him look bad a couple times in this game in terms of that. Uh, but but other players, uh, you know, like Cox and, and others are, are capable of doing the same sort of thing to him. They, your typical long armed three tech is going to be the 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 
nightmare player for McCarry to face because he has to face him one-on-one almost every single block that they're aligned in that direction. So it's it's uh it's it's the hardest anyways the hardest opponent for him to face. Well, though that's not going away. That's that's our opponents. That's true, but you know the op the options around the line are limited to say the least. Cologne Castillo and Bredesen have even shorter arms than McCarry. And and that's it's hard to believe, but they're both uh very short armed. Uh, Skura is in the middle and Powers is in the middle between you know his normal guard length arms in the in the 33 inch range. But uh, you know, the, these guys all are dealing with you know some short armness and you know the difficulties that go with that. And unfortunately, it does show up with McCary. I wouldn't judge him for it if he was like Marshall Yanda and able, able to overcome, you know, being slightly short armed. In in the case of McCary, he's just a lot of his missed blocks are sheds on my notes. I mean, there's a lot of things we wouldn't blame him for if he were like Marshall <laughs> <Yes>. Yanda. <laughs> All right, let's keep going here. Fluker uh, played well at the right tackle for the second straight game. No pass blocking charges, just amazing to me this week. He did have uh, a, a few last week, um, but still scored well, still had an A last week. Um, very limited mobility is showing up for Fluker in terms of getting to level two. It's really a lot worse than Brown. Brown had a, a more of an ability to down block, move up a half level, hit the scraping linebacker. What I'm finding is Fluker's highlight blocks tend to be Two blocks on linemen, including the lineman he faces initially for the down block and another lineman who tries to pursue the play, as opposed to getting up and really cutting off that scraping linebacker who's following the play, which would be the preferable block. You have a, you have a better chance to catch additional players in the wash with that sort of block. So he's not getting to that one and a half level where the scrape exchange is occurring or a, whatever. A, exactly. I mean, it's, it's where the where the where that linebacker is pursuing across the line of line of scrimmage. He's not he's not able to move up the half level. To, to get there yeah all right powers four to five blocks is a sixth offensive lineman he did allow a quarter of a penetration by the way part of what's making this this transition difficult is that powers is not really lighting the world on fire either in terms of his plays he's made some mistakes he had a holding penalty of, a couple of weeks ago he had this quarter of a penetration in this game which was you know I, I, obviously he did something wrong but but he also had a problem with the, with the guy next to him and there was uh, penetration on the opposite side uh, it's just a variety of things are making this decision not easy. And they're, they're, they're with three young players that I think they're really just having a hard time making the choice of who they want it to be. That that holding penalty was bogus. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of intimated that at the time, didn't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I, you know, pretty good game for the offensive line when you get three Bs, a C, and a C minus. You can live with that every single week of a of a season if you did. And you know, as the Ravens' grades have not been bad this year, but they haven't been exceptional. And if you look at their pass block and run block win rates, they're both above average. There aren't too many NFL teams that can claim that. Only about seven or eight. And the Ravens maybe have about the fifth or sixth best offensive line when you look at where they are on the efficient frontier of successful pass block and run block win rates. That is interesting. And that's not what the eye test shows. And and I wonder if that's the difference between kind of uh, smart technical play by O-linemen who are putting their bodies where they're supposed to be, but not dominant guys who are, you know, getting tremendous push or, or you know, moving people off the line or, or dominating people. Yeah, the, the Ravens do not have that guy who's a real earth mover. If they wanted him, they needed to drafted Michael Oweno. That was the guy who who could have given them that kind of a push. By the way, he's playing great for for the Patriots. We're going in there, and it's just going to be another 
draft pick knife twisting situation for me that they, they chose Bredesen over Oweno. Isn't he like 370 pounds? He's about, I think, 348, maybe something like that at the combine. Might have been 345, but mm-hmm. but definitely carries that weight very well. I mean, he's he's got a grown man body. He doesn't have a pudgy teenager body that you sometimes see in these rookies who are uh, you know just coming out of a, of a you know even a place like Michigan. But there are three offensive linemen in Michigan last year. Bredesen, you know, a real short arm guy at the opposite side, very intelligent, supposedly very technical. We haven't yet really seen him on the field except as a, a sixth offensive lineman. There was Ruiz, the guy everybody was in love with in the first round as the center. And then there's Aueno, who I really liked as a, as a more massive earth-moving guard because I think you need to have one of those, and he had good length as well. Um, that would have been the guy. And now the, the Patriots got him at number 182, and they get to have him play tackle. So uh, really weird kind of a situation here. I didn't realize he was playing tackle. I thought he was playing guard. Okay, some things are closing down for me here, but we'll have to we'll have to keep moving here. I need to need a second here to bring back up my uh, my schedule here. So before we get into the rest of the stuff, let's talk about Lamar Jackson a little bit here. And why don't you make a, any point you'd like to about Lamar in terms of what you saw in this game? Because I don't want to dominate kind of the setup for this. Oh my God! Is there anything else to say? In the second half, Lamar looked like Lamar. We saw what looked like 2019 Lamar for what, the first time, right? Or, or maybe the first time since game one? Yeah, I mean, he, he was certainly exceptional. Uh, game one, he was, he was unbelievable. That was Lamar running around the pocket and making plays despite pressure. That's, the, that's kind of the ultimate Lamar. Yeah. But the, but the Lamar this week, I thought, was, was really terrific. He, uh, he played very well. And he, uh, he, in the second half, went to a bunch of first read throws, which I think was really a lot of the, the, the planning change. So he was out of shotgun, obviously, the whole time. He's always out of shotgun. The normal idea with Lamar is look to a first read, but you can have staggered reads where you then have the opportunity to create an extended play. Okay, so read one, then read two are timed up. So that your 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 second read may be able to give you a better play. And Lamar has been accused of passing up the first read too many times, but right. also that's also the power of Lamar that you get him rolling around and then he can make a play on an extended play that would be really nice. Well, for whatever reason, they told him and they maybe scripted the plays a little different in the second half to make it be more easy first read slants. The, the throw to the outside and Boykin I think really falls into that category, but opportunities for him to make and take his first read. Yeah, so to me, the difference between the first half and the second half was so striking that you kind of want to dive into it and come up with an explanation, right? And and so I saw two things, really, between half one and half two, uh, and one of them was Lamar and one of them was play calling. And I think with Lamar, and, and this, I think, ties in with what you were just saying, he seemed really decisive in the second half. He hit the top of his drop, and he threw it, or he got flush and he rolled. But, you know, sometimes he gets flushed and he rolls out of the pocket and he rolls all the way to the numbers without mm-hmm. having decided what to do. He rolled like maybe five or six steps and threw it when he was still in the in the in between the numbers. He didn't wait around. He didn't look for something better. He just took what was there, you know, just step and rip. So he was extremely decisive in all of the pass plays in uh, Q3. So that was him. And then in the in the in the play calling. If you look at the if you look at Lamar's first seven passes of the game, so this is half one. If we count Hollywood's bobble on the sideline, if we count that as an eight yard target, 
And that mm-hmm. was on uh, a, a play, I think it was seven yards to go, and he was maybe a yard behind the, behind the market, the, beyond the marker. So Lamar's first seven passes in the first half, they were a median depth of about five yards, or a median gain of about five yards. So they were very close to the line of scrimmage. Well, Indy is flooding. You know, they got their four pass rushers. They've got this cloud of linebackers buzzing, and they're charging. You know, anything that looks like a running play, anything with Lamar moving to the side, any handoffs. In the second half, uh, Lamar's nine pass attempts in, in Q3 the median gain was 12 yards. Now, some of that was after the catch. Yak, yeah. But a lot of it was depth of target. So we've got him doing a play fake and then throwing it deeper. So he's drawing that second level, those buzzing fast linebackers, and he's throwing it past them. So with him being decisive and then the play action and the slightly deeper depth of target, I, I think you just see these ripping off these chunk, medium chunk plays, like just play after play after play. Yeah, it was it was great to see. There were a lot of 9, 10, 11 yard throws in there. And, you know, I don't know about you, but as a football fan, I always say nine's better than 10 on first down. Yes, yes. <laughs> shot. Yes. Uh, but anyway, there's there's that. And then and then the, uh, uh, you know, the fact that the the setup in terms of down and distance was remarkably efficient in the second half. Now, let me just go through a few statistics here to kind of set this up. They had a 32 to four streak of plays to begin Q3. So they got the football after having the Colts have the football at the end of the half on some ridiculousness in terms of failed clock management, frankly, having Dobbins not run out, not or sorry, run out of bounds, gave the football back to the Colts for an extra mm-hmm. chance. But the 32 to four play streak, they had a 15 to nothing edge in first downs. They reached third down only four times. Of those, three of them were third and one. They made right. all three of those. The fourth was third and four, and they converted that on two plays. With a with a fourth and three, eventually the Robin the run to the right by Dobbins converting it. So yep. the only negative play they had during that whole time was the fumble. It was a huge negative, but right. it was it was the only negative play they had during that thirty two play stretch where they didn't really accomplish what they needed to accomplish. They threw it on first down. They play faked even to air with the running back going to the wrong side. <laughs> the, the defense still bit on it, and they did not. Of their handoffs in Q3, not only one of them was on first and 10. The rest of them were all second and one, first and goal from the three, third and one, first and goal from the two, second and goal from the two, from the one, third and goal from the one, fourth and three. They had no handoffs in long situations or first and 10 except one. All of their running plays, you know, they, they kept at the run, they kept using it, but it was all from advantageous downs. Yeah, and that's uh, that's exactly right. And, and you know, it was a bad game for running the football. I think they realized that they were having a lot of problems with the Colts front and with Darius Leonard. Uh, you know, being the other the other linebacker, fifty eight Okafor. That's not exactly right, is it? Anyway, his fifty eight was was very effective. I thought as well when I looked at the film in terms of getting into the backfield on some of these shorter plays and 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 figuring out what was going on with uh, with Lamar in the backfield as well. Um, I, I can't say enough positive about the change of tactic in the second half. Yep. And, you know, we, we kind of hit on it earlier, but I love the difference in the type of pass they're throwing. As soon as I saw the throw to the outside to Boykin, I said, give me five more like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 11 yard throw. That's exactly what the play is supposed to do. It was even exaggerated in terms of Boykin, you know, 
creating too much space off the defender. Well, if that's what it takes to get trust, give me that. <laughs> let's let's get some more of that. He doesn't need that much. He just needs to trust Boykin to turn properly to get that back shoulder throw. But in that in that case, the, the defensive back gave him about five yards. I don't think he could have he could have passed it off. Right. So Miles caught it like I guess five yards air, and then maybe six yards after the catch, plowing into the two defenders. That sounds about right. I had that as one of my little random notes for the end that Boykin got a sniff of the air outside the doghouse uh, briefly. <laughs> Hopefully that's good for him. All right. Um, it's kind of a different version as I look at it, the second half of that 2019 offense. Because the 2019 offense could do whatever it wanted on the ground. Yeah. And that opened up all sorts of opportunities through the air. This was more almost just like the opposite. Give give Lamar easy first read throws. Lamar's accuracy was as good as it's ever been. Obviously, in that second half, he completed his last 12 passes, right, I think? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was 10 for 10 in the second half. And but it, last twelve for the game, did I have it right? Going back to the first, it doesn't matter. I didn't ten go back ten, for, ten yeah. for ten, the second half is fine. So yes. so anyway, <laughs> um, he was he was on the money, and he and he, uh, you know, if you had if you had a quarterback there who went seven for ten, they wouldn't have been nearly as effective in terms of the drives because so, they would have gotten sputtered out at some point with not making every easy throw the way he needed. So it really took top accuracy from Lamar, but he delivered on it, and and it was just a very effective version of the offense. You had some stats, I think, for uh, for this section of the game, some metrics. Oh, I I, you know, I meant to get the the uh, NFL, sorry, the AWS stats, the next gen stats, but I couldn't get them available to myself uh, today. And I don't know if anybody else is having some significant problems with this. Send me a, a a note on Twitter on how to beat it. But whenever I go there and I try to go to the passing stats, sometimes it comes up and sometimes it doesn't. And I, I can't figure out exactly what's what's wrong with it, but I tried about three or four times today, and I don't know whether it's a use thing or whatever. But the one thing I did know about this game is Lamar only had an av- had the fourth shortest average completed air yards, but Rivers had the shortest at 2.4 yards, and Lamar was only about 3.9 yards for this week, if I recall correctly. And he also had a significantly shorter time to throw than he's had for the whole season. So he's... he's um, He's been in around 2.9 something seconds. He dropped under three, but in in this game, it was more like in the 2.5 to six or seven range. It was significantly shorter than than where he had been uh, so far this year. I think that chimes in with the decisiveness theme. So I've been looking yeah. at some of the unsuccessful pass plays from previous games. I wasn't able to face the Steelers game, but I looked at Washington, Cincinnati, and Philly, and every once in a while, you see more than every once in a while, you see kind of indecisiveness where there is a guy to hit, but Lamar seems to maybe want something more or waiting for a deeper play to develop and and kind of getting himself into trouble because he's not ready to pull the trigger on the short gain. Um, and that's not what we saw in the second half. He His back foot hit the ground and he threw that sucker. Yeah, it's, it, the extended play thing for Lamar, it's just, it's a difficult quandary to do because it's, it's a lot of his value and that's a lot of the value of a lot of the you know, mobile quarterbacks today is they really make you pay on these three second plus run around plays. And they often could be four or five seconds, frankly, on the, on the ones that are very successful in the extension. So if I, I don't want to completely take that away from Lamar, no. but I want to have the switch where you can turn it on and off, maybe by a play at the play level to say, yeah, I'm going for a fast read now or on this play, I'm just going to side. If I see a, if, if I see what I want in terms of a four-man pass rush, I'm going to take my time and, and allow this play to develop and go for a secondary read if I think that's an opportunity. I think with this reconfigured offensive line 
And, you know, certainly with this opponent, with DeForest Buckner over there, I think that getting rid of it fast is strategically justified. I agree. It seemed to make sense in, in a lot of ways here. And we've seen Flacco, you know, obviously not at all the same kind of quarterback, but when, when faced with a good four-man pass rush with the Colts kind of presented yesterday, despite the fact they only got two sacks, um, they they can get some pressure with four men and without, without you know, rushing excessively. And having seven men in coverage just presents all sorts of difficulty and interception risk. And yep. you don't want to really expose Lamar to that. And the fast reads will reduce that chance because it doesn't give people a chance to close windows by moving horizontally across the field. And then his mobility comes in when the coverage is, is, is so great. You know, when they've dropped everybody back mm-hmm. and he can't find anybody, he, he picks up a quick five, seven, eight yards. He keeps the chains moving that I think makes the offense unstoppably efficient. Yeah, they, they certainly they did a good job with that. You know, they've been doing much more runs up the middle with Lamar this year. And Jim, I don't think we've had a chance to talk about this, but that's been one of the things I'm not really so keen on. I understand they want to use the speed to get Dobbins to the edge, and that Lamar can get some big runs up the middle. And you know, he had the he had a big touchdown run. Actually, I think he had a couple, a twenty and a thirty-seven or something, or, or earlier this year. No, it's twenty and a fifty. Um, but anyway. All that also exposes Lamar to some of the bigger hits. And we saw one in this game when Blackman uh, went to his helmet. Yeah. So I understand it and I don't love it. So the, the theory is when the when the defense is doing that scrape exchange, you know, where the, the guy up on the line dives for the running back and then the linebacker scrapes around to pick out the outside guy. If the running back is the outside guy and the defensive end jumps on him, then that opens the middle. So you you switch the responsibilities, right? The running back's not going up the middle now. The running back's going wide, and you're enticing the D end to jump him. So that's the theory, and it works sometimes. But I'm not in love with seeing you know Lamar challenge, you know, to it or Hayward or Geno Atkins or anybody. I, I don't, you know, it's a trade off, definitely. Yeah, they have they have a couple of different ways they can attack that. One is they can they can run it as an option, or they can otherwise just run it as a pitch play, which the Ravens don't do a lot of. They don't really run pitch plays very much at all. They have run the option what maybe about four times in the last four weeks, something mm-hmm. like that, where they've where they had a, a a pitch off an option. But it's but it's not you're something that you're talking about that speed option. Yeah, where they have where they have a. a, a player to the outside of Lamar, yeah. whether it's Dobbins or even Edwards, um, th- that can receive a pitch. So it's, yes, right. it, it's a, it's an option. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, but it's not a, a standard pistol read option. It's a, it's an outside option. Yeah. So, so, you know, those are the kind of things where you can combat the scrape exchange to a degree is get another guy to the outside. The other way to beat the scrape exchange is um, uh, mislead the opponent with the counter. And and make him you know show him pulling in the opposite direction and then run against that right. run run the opposite way and uh, you know you then you, you you're depending on Lamar to to beat one guy or to get in get out of the space and make good plays anyway I, I I'm I think we've we've probably talked about this topic enough I kind of want to move on but um, very happy with the second half and I'm very hopeful I, I, I I'm I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it too about Lamar going forward for the rest of the season well I think that we as as just a pure fan. I think that if this Ravens team goes on to accomplish anything, that this second half in Indy, we could look back at this as the turning point of the season. You know, maybe the most important half of football this this team has played so far. 
Yeah, I, I agree in, in a lot of ways. Obviously, all of the undercurrents that went with this game are, were very significant. And being behind and coming back against a good team on the road, missing players, all that. Yep. Um, yeah, this was this was a this was a great test. And you know, I'm not a player, I'm not a, a fan or an analyst who likes manufactured tests. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna judge a quarterback by the number of fourth quarter comebacks he he had if he's the one who created the opportunity for those fourth right. quarter comebacks right. with his lousy play early in the game. Lamar has been a guy who's won games in the first half. I'm perfectly happy with that formula. But, you know, in a difficult situation like this, I'm also happy to see this result. Uh, And I have to say, of of course, that both Lamar and uh, probably Greg Roman as well share some of the responsibility for getting behind in that first half. Mina Kimes on Twitter uh, pointed out that this was a nice narrative killing win for Lamar and the Ravens, which I thought was a, a nice point. Yeah, I think I think that's true. It was the first time in the, in the Jackson era they've come from behind, you know, at, with a halftime deficit, and it came the week after the first time they ever lost a game with a halftime lead. Right. So you know they're uh, instead of twenty four and zero and six and zero or what zero and six whatever they were now they're twenty four and one and one and six. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the wins come in any way they are is is good, and Lamar's certainly been a very successful quarterback by that measure, at a minimum. Did you see that stat about what is that? Thirty-one straight games now with twenty points. Yeah, that's remarkable. I was uh, looking at the other teams on that list, and and these are Hall of Fame teams that we're on that list with. This is Dan Marino and Mark Duper and Clayton's Dolphins, uh, the Greatest Show on Turf Rams, uh, Peyton Manning's Broncos, record-setting Broncos, and the Ravens on top of that list. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I the points per drive numbers. For the Ravens, were at historic levels last year, but it's yeah. really amazing to me that they've been able to maintain it because they still have very few drives per game, not as many points per drive, and any amount of variation, you know, in their points from game to game would seem to doom that sort of a streak. And yet they score every single half. They've done that now for what, hundred and five straight halves or something. Okay, if I knock on wood when you say yeah. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm jinxing it. We've already been talking for out for a while, so I'm <laughs> not sure we've jinxed it. Uh, anyway, let's move on here. Yeah. Uh, any other schemes that you want to talk about? Let me see if there's, if there's any that we haven't really hit on so far. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. I think the play of Duvernay going up to 41% of snaps with Boykin at 38 is kind of a, a, a move of significance. It did happen last week as well. Duvernay had a few more, but this kind of confirms their relative equality in terms of time on the field. Can I just tell you, I do not think that that is reflected in their quality of play. Go ahead. Well, so, so I have a couple of odds and ends for like later in the, in the show, like pass catching MVPs and whatnot, and the random sighting of Boykin being let out of the doghouse. I also had a pass catching demerit for this game. And it went to, du- to, to Duvernay. Mm-hmm. There were two plays where he was open and Lamar looked for him, but uh, Duvernay did not turn his head to, to look for the ball or look at Lamar. And so Lamar uh, held it and went somewhere else. 
One of them was that big sack in Q2, uh, sort of a jailbreak sack. I think Lamar lost something like 13 yards. Yep. If you look at that from the end zone view, uh, that's Duvernay crossing, you know, a shallow crosser right in front of the line, and uh, and Lamar's looking right at him, but Duvernay's just chugging, like just looking at the direction that he's running, and just keeps crossing and 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 never looks for the ball. And there was a similar play later on, uh, not a sack, but a similar, you know, he's just got his head down, chugging, running his route, and not looking for the ball. That one was a good result because the ball went to Marquise for for a big game, but um, he's. Uh, this there's a there's a narrative around Duvernay and Boykin. I see this on the message board a lot, where Boykin has proven that he sucks and we should get rid of him, mm-hmm. and Duvernay has looked super promising and he should get all the reps. And that narrative does not match what I see when I look at those guys on the tape. I like Duvernay, by the way, but that narrative is way overstated. That's 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 really good to hear. And by the way, I trust your judgment on this sort of thing more than just about anybody, Jim. I got to tell you, wow. the the uh, no, I, I mean it. The 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 the, th- the sort of things you're noticing are exactly the sort of things that I would think were important if I could notice them or if I did notice them. It's, yeah. You know, not turning for the football. You know, you really have to be have a special trust relationship or a scripting to the play for the guy not to turn for the football and be willing to still throw it. So you either got to completely know when he's going to turn. You got to know how the play is written up. But if, but on most plays, particularly if it's a second read, you know, and, and obviously Lamar was under duress on the sack that you mentioned. Uh, you know, that's a that's a that's a time where he has to be given a signal by that receiver. The receiver understands what Lamar is going to do, and turning his head would have been one of them. Yep. So Andrews has proven that he's on the same page. He knows what Lamar needs to be thinking at least most of the time, and Duvernay's got a way to go. Boykin as a blocker is something, you know, I've already heard from one guest that he never wanted to hear about it again. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it's something that it keeps showing up every game. He makes a great block or two. Uh, just anyway, I, I, well, I no, can't I put to, aside. I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but yeah, it's, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Miles Boykin plays a position in the Ravens offense that does not exist in other teams' offenses. I feel like Greg Roman has, you know how there's a, a blocking tight end and a move tight end? Mm-hmm. I feel like Greg Roman has a blocking wide receiver who occasionally catches passes, and Boykin is playing the hell out of that position. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, and, I, and I, I really do like it. And I think the Ravens value it, but then I see this reduction in Boykin snaps, and I kind of wonder. So it, it's I'd have to look back, and I know who, who to ask about this. I have to ask Josh about this, but the 41-38 to 38 division on the snaps – I wonder if that was a case where Duvernay is getting more obvious passing snaps and Boykin's getting more obvious or, or possible run snaps still. Uh, Matt Waldman pointed out, you know, he, he's a he's a draft evaluator mm-hmm. guy. He, he pointed out Duvernay uh, pre-draft as kind of a gadget sort of player, kind of a hybrid maybe of uh, maybe James White of the Patriots or... or Percy Harvin. Like yeah. So he's somebody who could get a lot of snaps in an irregular role as a gadget guy. Uh, so, so some of that might be that. I know that he got uh, an end around in one game. You know, there, there's things that you would use him for that you would not use Boykin for. Right. I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, he was obviously a very um, successful slot player in his last year in college. But I think he played some outside 
earlier on. But you're right. I mean, in the at the NFL level, it's open season on what you might add to the offense. If that's jet sweep, it's jet sweep. If it's if it's some sort of orbit motion where you're yep. using your own gravitational pull on the defense to change somebody else's position, that might be it. You know, they've used him on on these wide receiver screens where they can really make use of who Boykin is mm-hmm. if he's in the slot on the same side as Boykin to try and uh, you know get a, get one good block set up. Yep. Listen, another interesting thing I saw out of this game was that Marquise Brown seemed to draw Xavier Rhodes on most of the snap snaps that he was in on the game. Did you did you find that from your own charting? I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I haven't broken down this game yet. Actually, I was just doing a a quick look at the successful and unsuccessful plays to prep for this. Okay. So anyway, Marquise Brown was held again, kind of in check in this game. I didn't feel it was much of a scheme thing or a. Um, uh, as much as it was Xavier Rhodes really kind of did a very good job to, to neutralize him. And, you know, it's, I guess it's not unexpected that you'd get uh, the, their best corner on Marquise Brown. And we probably have seen that, you know, in, in a number of weeks, but this, this game, it kind of really stood out to me in terms of him being, him being shut down. He might've had what three catches, but he didn't have a good um, yards per target game. Uh, as I recall, it was something like five for 25 or something. He, Let me just he did not. There were really only three guys who had good yards per target games. Yeah. Uh, Nick, Boyle, Nick Boyle would be the pass catching MVP of this game. He had four catches <laughs> on four targets for 46 yards. That's 11 and a half YPT. Uh, and he looked great. He looked more mobile and athletic than I remember seeing him. In my notes, I say he looks kind, looked kind of like Hurst in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. He definitely showed that good snatch snatch radius. That was mm-hmm. not catch radius, but he but he went. I think it was on the 21 yard reception, a very good extension on that play. And that was a throw where Lamar threw it to a receiver who was behind a defender, not a receiver who was in front of the defender. Good point. Yeah. So you're saying, even though that was a quick read, it was a read where he allowed enough of that play to develop to get behind that second level Mm -hmm. in terms of that. Yes. And he actually, uh, so there has been some narrative about Lamar's arm strength from time to time. Lamar trusted his arm strength on that throw and used it to beat, you know, a trail defender and drop it in to a to a wide receiver run to a receiver running away from him. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was the longest play of the day there. That was a 21 yarder. It was the longest single play they had of the day. I don't know if it completely it went to Nick Boyle of all. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if it completely shuts down the narrative, but, but it's a, you know, it's a good one. He didn't, Lamar did not throw a lot of kind of low probability of success out, throw the defender and hopefully a player like Marquise Brown runs under it kind of yeah. throws in this game or this season. Yeah. Or this season. You're right. It's been a lot of shorter stuff. It seems like a lot of his successful longer throws come on the extended plays, mm-hmm. not, not on, and oftentimes went under duress and not on the easy sit back in there in the pocket and throw it. Last year, particularly I'm thinking back to the Miami game, he had a lot of success just throwing right out of the pocket initially in that game, yeah. uh, particularly the, I think the 47 and the, and the 80 to, um, to Brown were both like that. There was a deep one to Andrews where he got tackled just short of the goal line in that Miami game. And that was similar to, that was on a five, uh, 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 that was empty. empty and five verticals. Empty and five verts. Yeah, that's unique to the Ravens, really, because yeah. they, they'll run that five vert play and, and have Lamar be his own check down. Do you remember this offseason when uh, 
either Lamar said this or his Florida quarterback coach, Josh Harris, said this. He said that Lamar was getting his Tom Brady on in the offseason. I don't know what that means, I, but, but I didn't hear it, I don't think. Well, so this is jo- talking, Josh Harris said it? Yeah, yeah. And it was talking about what kinds of things Lamar was working on this offseason. And I, had to, at the time, interpreted it to mean reading defenses. But I wonder <laughs> if Lamar took it to mean like the short throws to the, the short, easy throws to the, to the guys in the near parts of the field. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting because part of the success of that, I think, is the Patriots are willing to stay with the same eleven, and you know they had guys who could who could stand up to that kind of a, a, a you know a the legs to throw run a lot of short routes and tire the the pass rush in particular more. Um, the Ravens don't get to the line of scrimmage nearly quickly enough no. to prevent substitution, and and I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that's not this year anyway, is Lamar going to get to the point where he's comfortable calling a play at the line of scrimmage and sugar huddling or just calling the formation with with any kind of from the sideline or with his hands or whatever just to set people up. It's just that's not who he is as a quarterback right now. Or it's not who Roman is as a play caller. Did you notice anything? I did not. I was wondering if you had this info in the second half, especially Q3, were they snapping it faster in the play clock? You know, they might have been a little quicker to the line of scrimmage, but the the pace element that I saw was the pace element of first read, accurate read, okay. accurate throw. I, th- I think it was more that. And it, there's some of it was they're throwing on first down also. Yeah. I mean, that, that pace of the offense is, is not completely Ravens-like. Uh, With so a play fake. Yeah. We were talking about yards per target. I had a second guy, uh, the number two guy in yards per target uh, for this game. Well, that would have been Boykin with his one catch for 11 yards, but yeah. Willie Sneed who was uh, four catches on four targets for 37 yards. That's 9.3 yards per target. And to me, Snead has been the Ravens' most effective receiver maybe all season. He's catching, what, 77% of his targets. He's over over 11 yards per. He had a man's game against Pittsburgh. Uh, he's really, to me, he's made a statement for a bigger role. Yeah, I agree. He's he's been the Ravens' best receiver. I would agree. It's not that many total targets for him no. still, but the the catch rate and the eleven point two yards per target will be an all time record for the Ravens for a single season. The eleven point oh by Andrews in his rookie year is the mm-hmm. current record. It's interesting because <laughs> Perriman went away from the Ravens. Obviously, he's played for three teams the last three years. Josh loves to talk about it, all things Rashad Perriman, <laughs> but Perriman since he's left has been thrown to 118 times for just over 1,200 yards. I think it's 1,204. 10.2 yards per target in his three years since. And 118 targets, I mean, that's more than a full season of target for any Ravens receiver. It's more like yeah. two. So, so that's way more efficient than I ever would have guessed, but he's he he's fast. He's going deep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there they, you know, it just, it's... It, it was a failed development opportunity. He was so bad in his last year in Baltimore. There was nothing but a change of scenery to be done about it. But it's really a shame that that uh, that the Ravens could get nothing out of that draft pick effectively. I mean, he was tipping balls to the defense for interceptions. There you go. There you go. You can't. You can't get playing time. You just can't do that. I want to. I want to say that the passer rating throwing to him might have been zero or very close to zero in his last season. But it was. You know, his yards per target were down in there in the two, two or two point two range. So uh, it wasn't. It wasn't efficient. Needless to say. I was right. joking at the time that uh, what he needs is not coaching, but a but a prescription for antidepressants. 
<laughs> yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> okay. there's, there, there's, he definitely needed receiving skills and not, it wasn't anything about his tools that were wrong. It was no. receiving skills. He just needed time with that. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's keep going here. We've got uh, anybody else, other skill position players you want to talk about? Any, any, anybody you want to bring up that we haven't so far? Uh, can I give a random sighting? Absolutely. Shout out to Gus Edwards for his first catches of the season. He had been over. Yeah. Over four for a running back catching the football is pretty damn terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. I, I, and he had been better than that. I think he was seven for seven last year, which is not high usage, but that's not all incompletes either. <laughs> so he caught two, and uh, I was really glad to see that. Nice to see him get off the schneid. It was pointed out to me, and I didn't actually go back and check the play, that Dobbins and Edwards were on the on the field in a quote-unquote pony backfield that was actually two pony receivers. So they, they, went, they went five wide on a play, but they had both of them on the field. They've done that now maybe three times this season, I want to say, but they had a, a recent touchdown run, I want to say, where Edwards was a fullback and Dobbins was the tailback. That was probably the most interesting and kind of the more reminiscent of uh, Rice and McLean from 2008 mm-hmm. playing together. I'm. I, I have to take a moment to savor McLean's two McLean the the two touchdown runs uh, versus the Cowboys from that year. Oh, there you go. Hold on while I while I just think about that for a moment. <laughs> yeah, those, the the two longest runs by opponents in Texas Stadium history occurred in the last what two and a half minutes of of that uh, of that stadium's history. <laughs> Yeah, we're shutting it down for you, Jerry. Yeah, there you go. Um, Mark Andrews had kind of a bad day as a receiver. Obviously, he had a terrific block on that TD run. Uh, just fantastic. But 22 yards, five targets, obviously wasn't a good day as a receiver for him. I mean, opponents are keying on him, right? The, so the so Indy keyed on Marquise, and they keyed on Mark Andrews, which, frankly, every opponent should be doing. Yeah, there you go. And that, maybe that, if anything, along with the scripting, which is going to have to be part of it, will force Lamar to consider other targets. And, you know, I, if, it's, if it's those two are covered and then it goes to Dobbins automatically, I don't want that either. I mean, that's not, that's not using the other receiving targets. It's really no. got to be Duvernay, Boykin. And in this game, I think he did a good job of using Boyle, obviously, yep. as another meaningful target. And that's a guy who's, who's earned trust. You know, he's caught a lot of short balls. He's done a lot of blocking. Mm-hmm. You know, they have some kind of communication now that's developed over the last year or so. It, we need it with more guys. Yeah, they, they've those two in particular have a great rapport on broken or extended plays, yep. and oftentimes yep. he'll be in as a blocker with a late release that'll end up being a, a a choice that the defender has to make to either come up and defend Lamar or cover Boyle, and they always, of course, make the make the go after Lamar choice. And then he had a touchdown at Buffalo on that very mm-hmm. awkward looking shot put, and and he also had a touchdown. Was he in Cincinnati? Year, right? Cincinnati, right? I think this year. Um, I think it was early in. Uh... I'm only looking at the unsuccessful pass plays, so <laughs> but I do okay. remember. I do remember the this season's touchdown too. All right, I, MVPs. Do you want to play along with me? Do you have a three three you want to name, or do you want to just talk about mine, or how'd you like to do it? I think I've uh, so I think I've mentioned mine already, but I'll just repeat them interspersed with yours. How about? Sure. Okay. Who's your number three guy? Uh, well, so one was Boyle. Number two was Snead. Uh, well, actually, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you you have one Boyle, two Snead. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so I'm I'm looking specifically at the at the pass receiving game. So that has to be Boyle and Snead. 
Okay, fair enough. And I had Sneed was my number three guy. My number two guy is Orlando Brown. I thought just the, yeah. the, the, the way he provided that cornerstone on the left side was awfully valuable in this game. And then Jackson is my number one guy. He uh, you know, put it together again in a good way. Didn't really come out with a great passer rating. If he'd had a touchdown, he'd have been up in the 115, 120 range and everything would have looked great. But uh, but only 97.5 because he didn't have a a, a uh, touchdown. But he didn't have an interception either. And that's really important in terms of uh, this game where the Ravens just needed to make not mistakes in that second half to, to pull away and win the game. Yep. Josh, what do we have in the mailbag? All right, simple mailbag for you today. Uh, first one up is now that we saw, have seen Lamar come back and win a game, are you guys ready to give him extension and pay him? Or are you still waiting on the big game for Lamar to prove himself? I was ready I was ready last year. I'm not waiting on anything. Yeah, I you know, they want to they want to just kind of time this where the terms are most favorable. And if mm-hmm. if the terms are most favorable this year, then I think it makes sense to do it this year. Uh there is if if we if we hadn't had the second half of this game and Lamar had continued to struggle game after game and you know had gotten into the, say the low 90s by the end of the year in terms of a passer rating, I'd have to really be thinking about again whether I want to go to an after three-year extension or wait another year. And I, so I don't think that's completely determined, but we're saved in a sense because he can't negotiate until after the third year. And we have at least until the rest of the year to see what he does. So next year, if, if, if the rest of this year ends poorly and he ends up with a, you know, an, a, a 93 passer rating for the year, which is a little bit below the league average now, I, I don't think that that begs an early extension in the same way that it would be if he improves his play in the second half and gets up to 101, 102 for the year. So I think I agree with you. I would like to try to argue with you for argument's sake here. Sure. So uh, with Lamar, we're not talking only about passer rating. We're talking about his overall impact on the entire offense, which includes his own rushing numbers and the rushing holes he opens up for other players. And the Ravens just set that record with uh, 31 straight games over 20 points and his winning percentage. so the total player is more than the passer rating to a greater degree than it is for many quarterbacks. Absolutely true. Um, this has not been a good FNTP year for Lamar, obviously. No. <laughs> and and that would be a place where I'd like to see him improve. A lot of that is don't take sacks and then really don't take big sacks. And he didn't need to take that 13-yard sack. At least I didn't think he needed to in this game. He had opportunities to get rid of the ball earlier. He had another opportunity to escape and throw it away late. Uh, but he put himself in a bad position where he ended up ultimately taking that shot and t- taking that sack and taking the Ravens out of field goal range. Right. All right. Anything else, Josh? All right. Yeah, one more question. Uh, Gus Edwards fumbled the ball and then was given the ball for uh, at least two more times at the goal line. Does this prove that the doghouse is gone? <laughs> uh, I, I No, I don't think so. I think he has just some currency in the bank to use in terms of his good play with Harbaugh. I don't think the doghouse is gone. Yeah, he had plenty of equity before that fumble. Another fumble, and then maybe maybe that would bring the doghouse into play. Equity. I love it. I'll use that word in the future instead of currency of the bank. All right. All right. Well, that does it for the mailbag. The doghouse still exists, according to you guys, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, all right. Well, Jim, I guess we've got nothing for you to plug. Thanks uh, for joining us. 
Ken, what's going on over at Film Study Baltimore this week? Well, we have all the normal stuff. Defensive articles already out. The offensive line article will be out approximately the time that this podcast comes out, a little bit later on the day, hopefully on Wednesday. Uh, that'll have more detail on the scoring I just talked about here for the, for the people who like to read an article. That's an easier way to get it. Um, we'll have By the Numbers with Dan Reese, which we'll record on Thursday. On Wednesday, we have Know Your Foe. Great guest this week. Mark Schofield, who's a huge quarterback guru and Patriots fan, to talk about the current state of the, of the New England Patriots. All right. And then the uh, new Situation Room came out on Monday, and there's also a new Section 336 out if you want to listen to a little Orioles talk uh, available as well. What are you guys talking about on 336 now? Uh, some off-season stuff. The Orioles... Rule 5 draft is in December, and the Orioles are in a weird situation that we haven't been in in a long time. With actual talent that they might lose? <laughs> exactly. We have talent that we need to protect and decide who to protect, and that's new to the Orioles. So we discussed that. We also discussed for a while the overall uh, state of the industry and sports entertainment and how it's changing with uh, television contracts and what that might mean for big salary contracts and stuff in baseball but also it's going to affect football down the road and all that eventually as espn may not be around too much longer yeah. or not the way we know it huh. all right so that would be a monumental shift jim thanks again for being here always a great discussion with you i love having you on appreciate you coming on and, and spending time with us we'll make sure we get you on for some shorts in the off season maybe uh maybe another game later this year if you have time for it I will make time for it. This is a huge pleasure for me. I love doing it. All right. Great, guys. Well, we will talk again soon. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.